Uh, Matthew Henry was a man who wrote a commentary on the entire Bible of a past generation. Many preachers would have had his commentary, set of commentaries in their library. And he said, whenever God is preparing to do something great on the earth, he first sets his people to praying. We're going to talk about prayer today. We've been in a sermon series entitled, Obey Everything. It's taken from the Great Commission, where Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded. So next Sunday, we'll be talking about the baptism part of that commission. Then the following Sunday is Easter Sunday, and we'll talk about overcoming fear, obey fearlessness. But today, we're going to talk about obey prayer, watch and pray. We're in Matthew chapter 26, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he commands his disciples, by extension us, we who are disciples of Jesus, to watch and pray. So we want to talk about what that means and how we obey that this morning. And there may be a lot of ways, but we're going to look at three. First of all, it means to pray with Jesus. Pray with Jesus. Matthew 26, verse 36. Then Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane, and he said, Sit here while I go over there to pray. He took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. He told them, My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little farther and bowed with his face to the ground, praying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Although in this section of Scripture, he says, Stay here and keep watch with me. That, of course, incorporates prayer as well. It's keep watch and pray. That becomes more explicit in verse 41. He says, keep watch and pray. This is, by all accounts, one of the most difficult hours in Jesus' life, if not the most difficult. We have these descriptors. He was anguished. He was distressed. His soul was crushed. He was grieved to the point of death. Have you ever heard the expression, you look like you've got the weight of the world on your shoulders? Well, Jesus was literally about to take the weight of the world on his shoulders. The weight of the world's sin, the world's grief, the world's guilt, the world's judgment and punishment. And so it was a time of great stress this hour in the garden. And he didn't want to be alone. We can understand that. You may have experienced some times like that in your own life where you were heartbroken and your soul was crushed and you didn't want to be alone. And you might be able to reflect on someone who came alongside of you during that time, maybe put a a hand on your shoulder and had a prayer for you for courage or for peace. You'll never forget that. And that's what Jesus was asking for here as well. He just wanted someone to be with him, to pray with him, to pray for him. That's what he wanted. That's what he asked for. That's not what he got. Nobody prayed with Jesus in the garden that night. I mean, his disciples were there. They were his closest companions. He asked them for prayer, but they fell asleep. And nobody prayed with Jesus. I was thinking about this and reflecting on it, and I want to... 
I want to pose a question to you, answer just in your minds, not necessarily out loud, but we've got some real students of the Bible here. Some of you have read the Bible cover to cover, maybe several times over. Reflect for a minute on the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I, I just broaden this question. Nobody prayed with Jesus in the garden, but I started thinking, did anybody ever pray for Jesus? As you think, the, as you think about Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, can you remember a time anywhere where it's recorded in the Gospels where somebody prayed for Jesus, somebody blessed Jesus, somebody put their hand on his shoulder and prayed grace for Jesus? Well, I'll save you the time. When I was reflecting on it, I went back and did a search, and it is nowhere recorded in the Gospels. I'm not saying it never happened. We, we really can't know, but nowhere is it recorded in the Gospels that anybody ever prayed for Jesus, much less at this most difficult hour of his life. Don't you kind of wish you, you had a time machine and you could go back into the garden, that olive grove there and, and be with Jesus? Don't you wish you had a 1982 DeLorean with a flux capacitor and 1.21 gigawatts of electricity and you could set that timer for 8033 and go back there, be with Jesus in the garden, put your hand on his shoulder and say, you don't have to be alone tonight. I'll watch with you and I'll pray with you. Pray with Jesus. We can't, we can't do that. I doubt there's anyone here who has a DeLorean. I know nobody here has a time machine. So we can't do that. But in a way, maybe we can. In a way, we, maybe we can pray with Jesus. In Matthew chapter 25, verse 40, Jesus said, what, When you did it, whatever you did, when you did it, for one of the least of these, my brothers, you were doing it for me. The body of Christ today is the church. It is our brothers and sisters in Christ. And when we have the opportunity to pray for someone else, a brother or a sister, whose heart is broken or whose soul is crushed, well, we're, we have the opportunity to do that for Jesus. We're doing that for Jesus. Let's just have a, a brief equipping time here. But a lot of people feel inadequate for this kind of thing. Come alongside of someone and, and, and pray for them at a moment like that. We preacher types get a lot of these kinds of calls. Maybe someone passes away and we're called to the home to have prayer with them. And I can tell you, nobody feels totally adequate for that. I don't know how many times I've walked away from a situation like that thinking, man, I was very inadequate. Somebody else certainly could have done a better job than I did. But having said all of that, when it comes down to it, there's really only four things that are needed. From you, from me, at a time like that. Number one is our presence. Just our very presence of being with them communicates the presence of God and the love of God. Number two is the scripture. It's always appropriate to read a scripture. Any of the scriptures that have to do with the peace of God, the comfort of God. Psalm 23 is often appropriate at times like that. Uh, a third thing, we're talking about four things. The third thing is prayer. To have a prayer with them. And maybe the briefer the better. It doesn't have to be a long prayer. Just pray, dear God, for, for Sally here, I pray for your comfort and for your grace and for your mercy and for your courage. In Jesus' name, amen. Just a brief word of prayer. And the fourth thing is touch. Just to put a hand on the shoulder. That is so powerful, especially at this time, this day and age that we're living in. Come alongside. And do those four things. And I'll, I'll say one, thi one thing else along this area of equipping us to do this for one another. Sometimes someone will share with us 
some difficult episode in their life that they are going through. And often, our response is, uh, thank you for sharing that. I'll be wedding for you. I'll be praying for you. I'll be praying for you. Now, that's better than nothing. That is better than nothing, especially if we actually do go back and pray for them at some point. But what is 10x times better than that is instead of saying, I'll be praying for you, we pause right then and we say, may I pray for you? May I pray for you right now about that? I've done that a number of times. I haven't always done it, but whenever I do, I ask a person, may I pray for you? No one has ever said no. Even if they were a neighbor, maybe not even a, a Christian as far as I knew. They know you're a Christian, and they, ever, they never say no. Inevitably, they'll say, boy, I would really appreciate that. And just pause right then. Maybe step off to the side if there's other people around. Put a hand on their shoulder. There's that touch. And say a brief prayer on their behalf. That is like a superpower that each one of us has. That is so powerful. They will always remember you ministering to them in that way. And also, it's a way to pray with Jesus when we've done it for the least of these. We've done it for Jesus. So, we're talking about what are the, how can we obey the command to watch and pray? We'll pray with Jesus. Secondly, pray in time. Pray in time. Verse 40. Then Jesus returned to the disciples. He found them asleep. He said to Peter, couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Now, very practically speaking, how much time should we be spending in prayer every day? How often should we be praying every day? There's a story about a Sunday school class. It's a boys' Sunday school class, and they went on a bowling trip on a Saturday. The teacher took them bowling, and after the first game, they were tallying up the scores, and the teacher said to little Johnny, Johnny, uh, your score was 13. Johnny's eyes got wide. He said, wow, can you believe it? I used to stink at bowling. Well, Johnny still does stink at bowling, but he doesn't know it because he doesn't have any objective standard by which to compare that. I don't know how we're doing at bowling. Some people are bowling. I don't know how we're doing at bowling. I don't know how we're doing at pray. We may be crushing it in the area of prayer. We may really have that nailed down. But how do we know? Is there any objective standard? What does the Bible say? Maybe the Bible gives us some hints or clues, some things to strive for in our prayer life. In Acts chapter 3, verse 1, Luke records, one day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now what's this time of prayer, 3 o'clock in the afternoon? Well, Peter and John, they had Jewish backgrounds. They were, they were Jewish Christians all the Christians for the first 10 years of the church were Jewish converts, all of them, up until Acts chapter 10. And so they had, by tradition, the Jews had certain hours set aside for prayer. There were three every day, 9 o'clock in the morning, 12 o'clock noon, and 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Those were their set hours of prayer. They prayed three set times per day. And this is it was part of their tradition, of course. It's not commanded in Scripture, but it's partially based on Scripture. One of those is Psalm 55, 17. The psalmist writes, Morning, noon, and night I cry out in my distress, and the Lord hears my voice. Morning, noon, and night. So they set aside three times for prayer. Remember Daniel in the Old Testament? Daniel, 
He had three set times of prayer every day. And even when prayer was criminalized where Daniel lived, he still kept those prayer appointments at the risk of being arrested. Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, that's the decree criminalizing prayer, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem three times a day. He got down on his knees and he prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. And if you recall, you know the story. He was arrested. He was thrown into the lion's den. God delivered him, put him back in favor with the king there. But if Daniel thought it was so important to pray, set times for prayer, even to risk arrest and death, maybe we should consider in our lives having set times or at least a set time for prayer. And of course, the Bible enjoins us to constantly pray. For instance, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So having a set time for prayer does not mean we don't have conversational prayer with God throughout the day. It's not either or, it's both and. Now, speaking of praying for, for an hour, now if, if that's the expectation, a lot of us may be falling short, and I'm not saying it is, but, but Jesus said, could you not wait with me one hour? Dick Eastman, about 25 years ago, wrote a little book. I want to recommend this to you as a resource. It's called The Hour That Changes the World. And he based this book on this passage, Could You Not Wait With Me One Hour? And part of the genius of his book was he came up with what's called a diagram or the wheel of prayer. And he identifies 12 ways, 12, in which we may pray for God. Spending about five minutes in each one of those areas, of course you do the math and it adds up to an hour of prayer. Now you probably can't, maybe can't read that on the screen, but the, these 12 areas are praise, waiting, confession, praying scripture, watching, intercession, petition, thanksgiving, singing, meditation, listening, and praise. And so, there's a chapter on each one of those different ways to pray to God. It's very powerful. I read this about 20 years ago and totally changed my prayer life. This is the 25th anniversary edition. I picked this up. We're going to put it in our church library. You can check it out. You can come up after the service and get the info and order it yourself on Amazon for about seven bucks. But the introduction to this one is written by Johnny Erickson Tata. Anybody know Johnny Erickson Tata? She's a paraplegic. She was paralyzed when she was a teenager, but she's pretty famous in the Christian community. She draws pictures with her teeth. She's a best-selling author. She's a, a world-renowned speaker. She's a recording artist, has recorded many albums. Of course, she's a Christian. And after writing about what this book meant to her and her prayer life throughout her life, uh, I'm just going to read a little bit about, of what she writes here. Johnny Erickson Tata says, The hour that changes the world may appear small and modest, but don't let its size fool you. Full of biblical insights about prayer, packed with testimonies of prayer warriors from years past, brimming with practical suggestions that will help you carve out a purposeful time of praise and intercession, Dick Eastman's book is arguably the most significant book on prayer written in modern times. It may look small, but in every way, it is definitely large. So a great resource on helping us to improve 
our prayer life. James Clear writes, New goals don't deliver new results. New lifestyles do. And a lifestyle is a process, not an outcome. For this reason, your energy should go into building better habits, not chasing better results. Keep watching, pray. Pray with Jesus. Pray in time. And finally, a third way is to pray over temptation. Pray over temptation. Verse 41. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Why do we still struggle with temptation? Some of us have been Christians for decades and we're still struggling with temptation. Why is that? Well, part of it is, we are, we, we're people, we're composed of two parts. We are one part spirit and one part flesh. We're spirit and flesh. When we were saved, we became Christians, our spirits were redeemed. Our hearts were regenerated. Spirits redeemed. But the body is not yet redeemed. We still got the same body. We're going to have this body until Jesus returns. That's when we get the new body. The, the spiritual body. The redeemed body. But in the meantime, we're in a body of flesh. And the Bible says there is sin in the flesh. You don't need some exotic definition of what flesh means. Flesh is flesh. And so the Bible teaches our spirit is at war with our flesh. Spirit, our spirit wants one thing, our flesh wants something else, so there's conflict. And that's the way it is. Galatians 5.17, Paul writes, The flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. Romans 7.18, Paul says, I want to do what's right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. There is another power within me that is at war with my mind. Can you relate to that? I can. So the bad news is we're at war and we don't ever get out of that war in this lifetime. The conflict is every day. We wake up every day. Whatever happened yesterday doesn't count. It's today. And today we wake up to a new battle. So the battle never ends. That's the bad news. The good news is God helps us in this war. He helps our spirit each and every day to overcome our flesh. And the way He helps us is through the Holy Spirit within us. When you were baptized, you received the indwelling gift of the Holy Spirit. Acts 2.38, we're baptized for the forgiveness of sin and the gift of the Holy Spirit. The ministry of the Holy Spirit within us is an inner resource of moral power to help us overcome the temptations of the flesh. Romans 8.13, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God, that's the Holy Spirit, are the children of God. So you say, well, all right, Steve, I've been baptized. I have the Holy Spirit. How can I get Him to put to death the misdeeds of my body? How can I get that Holy Spirit to help me have victory 
over sin. What are we talking about? We're talking about prayer. What did Jesus say? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Prayer is a key here. In Ephesians chapter 6, we have this passage that Paul writes about spiritual warfare that we're all engaged in. And verses 13 and 18, verse 13, he says, Put on every piece of God's armor, so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Now that's verse 13, and then there's verse 18, but in the dot, 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 is all those verses in between, where he says, put on the full armor of God, the helmet of salvation, breastplate of righteousness, belt of truth, shoes the gospel of peace, shield of faith, sword of the Spirit. And then, in verse 18, at the end of that, he says, and pray in the Spirit at all times on every occasion. Any Trekkies here? I'm going to tell you, am I the only one? Trekkies, followed Star Trek. 1960, the TV series, William Shatner, James T. Kirk. So what happens? When Jim Kirk sits down at the con, and he looks over at Mr. Sulu. Mr. Sulu, he says, warp engines, maximum power, but nothing happens until Kirk says one word. One more word. What is that word? Engage. Engage. So we've got all this power, and we have the, we have the Holy Spirit within us, and he's the X factor. How do we engage? We engage through prayer. Prayer, we ask God. Prayer is a pure act of faith. First of all, every minute that we spend praying, we have a, that set time of pray, prayer is time that we're not doing. We're, we're not trying to accomplish things by our own effort. In prayer, we first of all acknowledge that there is a God. And that He has power that we need. And we are availing ourselves of that power. We simply ask for it. There are several scripture prayers like this in the Bible. Dear God, out of your glorious riches, strengthen me with power through your Spirit in my inner person. Right? So that I may know Christ and His love. The height, the width, the depth, and the breadth of His love. So asking for that prayer. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Put to death the deeds of my body by your Spirit. That's engaging the power of the Holy Spirit in us through prayer. Isn't this what Jesus was doing in the olive grove? Isn't this what he was doing? As he faced his greatest temptation, he was going to God in prayer, asking God to help him not to give in to the desires of the flesh, to avoid suffering, but to do what God wanted him to do. And so he sought God in prayer and God's spirit in prayer. That's what we're doing. The Christian life is either a rowboat or a sailboat. Right? So we can get in that rowboat, grab those oars, and just grind it out and sweat it out, trying to move the boat against the current. We'll make a little bit of progress. We're going to wear ourselves out. Or it's a sailboat. There's plenty to do on a sailboat. There's plenty for us to do on a sailboat. You've got to trim the sails, whatever that means. And you've got to hoist the sail up there. But what we're seeking to do is to catch the power of the wind. And 
The word for spirit, as you may know in the original languages, in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word is ruach. In the New Testament, the Greek word is pneuma. Is both the word for wind and spirit. You just have to determine from context whether you translate that wind or spirit. And in my analogy, when we're praying, we're raising the sails to catch the power of the Spirit in our life for that day. What did Jesus say? The wind blows. You don't know where it's coming from. You don't know where it's going. But so is everyone who is born again, born of the Spirit. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, this day we would obey Jesus' command to watch and pray. We would look for opportunity amongst our brothers and sisters, the body of Christ, to pray with them and with Jesus. We want to pray in time, having both set times of prayer and praying continuously throughout the day. And we would pray over temptation and sin, asking your Holy Spirit to empower us today to do what we cannot do, to live victorious in this day, and to glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen.